0: Okay, I got I I have got some I want some some uh, first thing that comes to mind when I give you these words. You ready? We're gonna start it off like this. Mephibosheth. <laughs> <laughs> Dodo <Darn. laughs> Shifa Pua Elkanah. This is what I was expecting. (laughs) Darren got the one. Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. But the point is, all those people are in the Bible. There are a lot of people in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, which doesn't get a lot of attention in a lot of circles. There are a lot of people in the Bible. Now, Adam... Everyone knows Adam. Everyone knows Adam. When you ruin the world, everyone knows your name. Abraham. People know Abraham. Abraham makes it into both Testaments. He starts pretty, pretty quick to next week. We're going we're to meet and know Abraham, and his faith is legendary. He's the hero, faith credited to him was righteousness. In his merit, God acted. For the sake of Israel and for the world, actually. Noah. Everybody knows Noah. Everybody knows Noah. Not only is the flood one of the oldest stories known in civilization, particularly ancient Near Eastern civilization, everybody knows Noah. His story is one of the most widely circulated Bible stories. Even if you never go to the Old Testament, it wouldn't surprise you to find Noah and his animals and his ark on nursery walls around the world. People decorate their nurseries with Noah and you know, all kinds of things because it's, a, it's such a well known story. And, and he's probably known more than the first two people I mentioned outside of Mephibosheth, jo- Dodo Elkanash I mean, uh, whatever her name is, Shifa. That's right, Darren. You win. Here is your prize a Nahamu Ami bookmark. Everybody knows Noah, but there's a lot people don't know about Noah. We know about the ark. We know all this good stuff. What about that cave? What about that vineyard he planted? What about the drunk? What about what his son did to him in that cave that no one really knows, but what is debated is not good stuff. There are some things people don't know. The ark is really cool, really cool. But what about Noah's righteousness? And and this topic gets a lot of attention in Judaism. What about Noah's righteousness? We know he was righteous. We know he was obedient. I mean, that's evidenced by the story, and the Bible tells us. But again, there's some cloudiness around that term because, listen, if I'm in a room full of thieves and murderers convicted and they say, who in here has never committed a robbery or killed anyone and I raise my hand, does that make me righteous? I am just perceived to be more than the company that surrounds me because I have not done some terrible thing. Consequently, I'm, I'm viewed as more upstanding. Now, the argument against Noah in Judaism goes something like that. It says, For only have I, for only you, God tells him, for only you have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Only you have I seen righteous before me in this generation. What was Noah's generation? The generation that got obliterated from the face of the earth because they were so incredibly unrighteous that it's sort of like me in the room with thieves and murderers. If you say, Moses, you're great. I mean, Noah, you're great compared to all the people around you. That's, they, they debated as to whether or not that's really a compliment. And, and the sages say, well, then, you know, maybe relatively righteous. But there's a, a second curious degradation of Noah that's related to that one sort of. And it's actually part of the teaching that we're working through here. The rabbi suggests that Noah was a savior of the world. Can we argue with that? Is that true or false? You can answer. I won't make fun of you. True. True. Of course it's true. I mean, if Noah had said, hey, no thanks on the boat. The Bible ends in chapter six. That's it. It's the end of the story. So he saved the world. But, you know, the sages suggest that he didn't really embrace the mission. How long did it take to build the ark? By the common assessment in Jewish source. How long did it take? One year. A hundred and twenty years to build the ark. He was on it for a year. A hundred and twenty years. And here's the argument. Noah. Noah. 120 years, people walking by, seeing this big boat you're building, asking questions. Why didn't you make disciples, Noah? Why did only your family enter the ark? Why didn't you do a better job of being an evangelist? Save some people with you. And so the accusation is that Noah was basically self-centered, Now, you could easily argue that point, because what I was just saying is that God said that only Noah was good and righteous, and that wasn't his mission to save people. There wasn't anyone worth saving, you could argue. But then you think about Adam, just a couple of, I mean, I'm sorry, all these names, Abraham, just a few chapters from now, what's going to happen at Sodom when God says, I'm taking it out? What does Abraham do? He intercedes. He says, wait, God, he challenges, he argues with God. Surely, surely the God of the universe, the God of justice wouldn't. So it doesn't really matter, the sages say. Noah didn't do his job. Now listen, I'm going to give him a pass on that. 120 years on a project with your family, can you imagine the hell of that? Building a huge boat in the middle of nowhere? I'm going to give him a pass. That wasn't his mission, but stop right there because that's our question. What was Noah's mission? What was his mission? Anyone? Build a boat. Build a boat. Now, what we're going to find is that it's actually more than that. He had a couple of missions, and the Torah points them out in ways that are incredibly cool, but they're not exactly easy to see. And so as we search them out, we'll see that, yeah, we remember the ark, but we missed something really big. And we'll find out in the process that the sages and the criticism of Noah are actually well-founded, though it may not be for those reasons. And the Torah points it out, because here's the deal. My life, as an example, did not start so well. Well, it started really well, really well. And then I turned, like, 13. (laughs) I had my bar mitzvah, and it was straight downhill from there. (laughs) But it's not how the story starts. It's what you do with it, and it's how the story ends. So, I want to look at Noah's missions The righteousness of Noah, listen, indisputable. Unless you want to argue with God multiple times throughout this text, Noah 6.8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah's a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Now here's the, Noah walked with God. That's what it says. Do you know the last time we heard about walking with God? It was in the garden. It wasn't really them walking with God. You know why? Because they were hiding, because they had not been righteous. And God is saying, you know, I where are you? It wasn't really God walking. Let's make sure we're clear about that. It says the voice of God, the, the the voice of God, the sound of God. But Adam and Eve, they didn't do any, they didn't do no walking. They was hiding because they were afraid. Now listen. The evidence for, for Noah, I don't care how unrighteous his generation is, if God lets you walk with him, you are a pretty righteous dude or dudette. Okay? That's a fact. The evidence continues in Genesis 6.22. He's given instructions for this seemingly insane, crazy work that he needed to do in building this huge boat, collecting all these animals. And here's what we read. Thus did Noah... According to all that God commanded him, so did he. In chapter 7, verse 5, chapter 7, verse 9, chapter 7, verse 16. And God commanded Noah, and he did. God commanded him, he did. And while all that might seem completely obvious, I mean, if God's giving you a verbal instruction, of course, yeah, well, you do it. But it didn't go like that the last time God made a commandment. When was the last time we encounter the word command in the Bible prior to Noah? The same place they were walking. Yeah, in the garden. Don't eat. Don't eat that. You can eat everything else. Don't eat that. That was a commandment. Savah. That was the word. Savah. And God commanded, right? Right? Every tree of the garden you are free to eat, but as for the tree of knowledge and good and bad, you must not eat it. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Yes, they had. They didn't walk with God. They ruined it. They could not obey one simple command. And here's Noah building a boat, being ridiculed, hated, made fun of, threatened, who knows, obeying the commands. That's what Noah did. And he did it without any obvious objection. And that's a pretty big win for Noah. His his righteousness is demonstrated through his obedience. It wasn't just that Noah was nice or that he was a moral guy. The mobile, I mean, the, uh, the righteousness of Noah is a biblical fact, and we have that nailed down. So here's, we're rolling. Noah overcame the Adam and Eve thing. He built the boat. He listened to God. Mission accomplished. So... How is it that we can arrive at this idea of Noah being a failure in some way? What is that? How, how? Where is that? And this is where it gets interesting because we look at Noah's missions. As a reminder, we're exploring what is Noah's mission. Well, as I said, he has a couple and we can find it in the Torah. Are you aware that there are two sets of instructions given to Noah about the boat? You know this? Probably not. Why would you? It's like, okay, so it's in chapter 6, it's in chapter 7, he duplicates it, so what? God was serious about it. He really wanted him to get the message, so he told him twice. It takes some Hebrew to see things a bit more clearly. It's in the English, you can see it if you're reading carefully. But, you know, that's something that the sages of Judaism did really, really well. They read very, very, very carefully. And so you notice things. If something's repeated, if you find uh, just all kinds of connections in the interpretation of Torah, you read very carefully, and you can find some things. Speaking of which, I need to I need to say something about reading very carefully. Karen sent me a message last week and said, "Hey, um, you said in the message about bara and creation. If you heard that message, we see it in one one. We see it in one twenty six again for mankind." She said, well, I see it one other place before we get to man. And she was right, because it's there. And the thing is, what I said and should have made more clearly, I told Karen in my response, I said, I I get really zealous, especially when I come out of here and I want to start, "Ah," and my notes are over there. There's another place where Barah shows up, one place. My point should have been it's conspicuously absent from all of the, the story of creation. You know where the other place it is? It's around creating Leviathan, the huge sea monsters, which is its whole nother other message that I didn't want to get into. But the point is I need to make that correction. If you identify an error, somebody points out an error, correct it. It doesn't change anything about what my conclusion was or what the message was but it's there. Now, back to reading carefully. Back to reading carefully. Noah and his two directives to do apparently the same thing. God said to Noah, let's put this up there, Darren. This is chapter 6. God said to Noah, the end of humanity has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of people, and behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. And then he goes on to give the instructions. Gopher wood is much stronger than chipmunk wood. If you want to build furniture, do that. Now behold, I myself am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which there is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall enter the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. So Noah did these things according to everything that God has commanded him. So he did. So what do we have? Genesis 6, enter the ark. Noah is righteous. God will protect him. Care for the animals. Keep them alive with you. God's intention to destroy, Noah obeyed. Got it. Mission received. Let's do it. But wait, Genesis 7, he does it again. He gives him another instruction. He gives him another instruction. The Lord said to Noah, Genesis 7, Darren, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I've seen to be righteous. And he goes on, take seven pairs of every clean animal and two of the not clean, male and female, birds of the sky, male and female, keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I'll send rain. So Noah acted in accordance with everything the Lord commanded. So what do we have there? Enter the ark. Noah is righteous. God will protect. Care for the animals. Keep them alive. God's intention to destroy. Noah obeyed. Okay. Why? Have you ever asked why would there be two sets of basically almost identical instructions? We get it, God. We're going to build the boat. Okay. Great. Why the duplication? Well, it's not exactly a duplication. And the focus on the difference is what reveals a lot. And there's one obvious difference that gets a lot of attention. It is between 619 and 7, whatever the other one is, 7-2, I think. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive. That's the first set of instructions. Then in the second set, you shall take with you seven pairs of every clean animal. That's new. That's added. A male and his female and two of the animals that are not clean. So we have this addition here. Now, this actually is the most obvious conclusion drawn by Jewish sages through the ages, clean and unclean, right? The obvious conclusion that that Ramban and others come to is this is clearly about sacrifices. This is clearly about God saying, hey, I want to make sure there are animals to sacrifice to myself, even though we really don't have the Torah or the Levitical system or the laws of sacrifice and really sort of even clean and unclean has not been exactly defined. But it's basically saying, you know, but, but, but question about that. Couldn't just one sentence added to the instruction in six have accomplished the same thing? In chapter six, he just could have added Oh, yeah, and bring some clean animals. Here's the deal. No, when you get off the boat, believe me, you'll be on it for a year with your family that you just spent 120 years building it with. You're going to be happy to be off that boat. You're going to want to offer some sacrifices. Put some clean animals on it because those are the ones I like. That could have been just sort of put into six. So the, the, the conclusion by many is, well, okay, but, but he did all that because it's an implicit command for Noah to bring sacrifices. Ah, Eh, could be, or it could be more than that. Again, remember, the, the Torah, the Bible is a living text. Part of it is to teach us how to live. It does that through new lessons, new insights, new revelations. I don't care how many times you read the Noah's Ark story. A living text brings forth new things. I'm going to show you something new today, new to me. Another significant difference that is easily glossed over, but pointed out to me by Rabbi Waxman. Genesis 6:19. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. This word is lechachayot, Colloquially, in normal speech, that means survive. Lechachayot, Survive. Bring these animals on and keep them alive. Got it? Good. Hold that. Genesis 7-2. Of every pure animal you shall take seven pairs, and that not pure, and a mate, and birds of the sky... To keep seed alive upon all the earth. That first Lachachayot was the Genesis six. This is Genesis seven. Lechachayot zera al pene kol haaretz. Revive. Revive. That is a completely. It has the same root lechayot. Lechachayot, colloquial speaking, speech to survive. Zera revive, rebuild. There's something big that you need to do, he brings out in chapter seven. It's about renewal. And there you see from a little tiny piece of Hebrew and a little phrase. Two missions. Two missions. Let me frame them. We think of the ark as survival for Noah, for family, for animals, and it was that. But it was far more than that. Far more than that. While Noah and his family must survive, and so should some of the animals, that idea, the ark, the survival, the l'chay, it, it it represents the past. It is almost and I heard it described this way. It's almost as if God is saying, "Yeah, you know what? Bring some of those on and I want to keep a little piece of this world that I made. I don't want to see I don't want to just kill it all. Bring bring something, almost like a relic, almost like a souvenir. Keep it alive, Noah, including yourself, of course. Not that God needs those, but 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 let let the Beasts survive as a reminder. And that was Noah's task, one part of his mission. Keep them alive, including yourself. But the ark was not only about survival. What would be the good of that in the big picture? What would be the good of that in the big picture? The bigger mission, of course, is, as I pointed out, revival. Chayot You must rebuild, you must revive life upon the earth. And we already know why Noah was preserved for the task, because he was righteous. His obedience earned him this privileged task. He and his family represented purity in what was going to be the newly revived pure earth, from the old to the new, from survival to revival. But what about the animals? What about the animals, the pure ones, Tahor, the clean ones? Sure, maybe it could be about sacrifices and having halakhically pure sacrifices. But what if? What if it relates to that instead, that it's not about the laws of sacrifice so much? It's not about halacha. Rather, like Noah, it is pure and clean versus corrupt, like the earth that had just been destroyed that these animals represented revival and hope and future and clean and pure, just like Noah and his family for the revival mission from that wholly corrupted former earth, even down to the animals, righteous purity for Noah, clean animals, purity for revival of the earth. And these animals needed to be part of the world that would serve God. Because yeah, it could be about sacrifice. Listen, A world where people offer thanksgiving to God is a much better place. There's no question about that. But when we consider these missions and what is being said here, it changes that a little bit. And someone can say, well, there's a bunch of animals too, Rabbi. I mean, what's the point? Well, I don't actually know exactly. I don't know why there's a bunch of other animals. But when you look at the whole overarching theme about God saving clean and pure and then wanting to rebuild, you can see God wants righteousness and purity to come off of that ark. Survive is one thing. Revive is something completely different. And righteous Noah has proven to be all that God asked him to be in terms of that survival mission. Check mark, pitch, go for wood, year on the boat, all of it, man. Mission accomplished. Way to go, Noah. But how would he do in part two? Because that's the question. You've got a bigger part. You've got a revival part. And it's up for debate, but I already told you. I forgive Noah for the evangelism stuff. Fine, you didn't bring a bunch of wicked people on. Part two, though, we can forgive that, right? They were evil. Part two, what about now? How does Noah's obedience fare in the rest of the story? And next week, I will tell you that, and I will bring you through the end of this. We'll see amazing things revealed in the Torah. We'll move into the introduction of God's new friend, Avram, and in all of it, we will see the way that we ourselves can learn and grow even from this most famous almost nursery rhymeish story that decorates the walls of toddlers houses everywhere there's a much much bigger takeaway shabbat shalom let's stand up